The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You don't have to actually stand up to the bully for the behavior to have been bullying. Well, how am I meant to know that that behavior upset them or offended them because they didn't say anything? If we work on the basis that bullying potentially creates unsafety, then it's not reasonable to say to someone who feels unsafe, you have to stick up for yourself in that situation or else you can expect for that person to continue to target you. So that in fact is one of the myths of bullying, that there is an obligation on behalf of the target or the recipient to the behavior. I don't want to say victim, because yeah. that disempowers them. Some will feel as if they've been victimized, but the target or the recipient, it's an obligation on them to say something or they basically deserve what they get. That is that is really flawed and, and offensive to most of us. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. The Anne Faraday Brash is author of the book Vulture Cultures and is an expert in workplace justice an approved media spokesperson for the College of Organisational Psychologists. Leanne troubleshoots complex grievances, mediates and investigates discrimination, harassment and workplace bullying. Frank and fearless in the advice she gives her executive clients, Leanne understands the psychology of motivation and what needs to be in place for people to follow through and enact goals. For some of Australia's largest and most prestigious companies, banks, telcos, universities, Leanne has facilitated breakthroughs in interpersonal behaviours, team dynamics, culture and work relationships. Entertaining and transformative, it is my pleasure to welcome my friend, Leanne Faraday-Brash. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you, Nina. Lovely to be here. Look, I've been relishing your book, Vulture Cultures, and um, it's it's curious that uh, you talk about the myths of bullying, but this session we'll just do maybe the who, what, where, when, why, how of bullying because, uh, and we can start with what is bullying? The definition, and that's a good news, the definition of bullying pretty much across states and Commonwealth in most countries is really akin to repeated unreasonable behaviour that creates a risk to health and safety. So it can't be an isolated incident, even if an isolated incident could potentially have a profound effect on the other person and might be immediately registered by others as totally inappropriate and below the line. But it must be something that happens more than once. Uh, And it needs to, on the balance of probabilities, if you and I were sitting there observing that behaviour and asking the question, 
is it probable that this could create a foreseeable risk to somebody's physical or psychological health if it's repeated behaviour that's unreasonable and we could foresee that it would have some sort of damage to somebody physically, emotionally or psychologically, then bullying has occurred. Uh, and you can play around the edges of that, but essentially they're the main elements. So we've got two, at least two players involved in bullying. The, I don't know, do you call them the perpetrator? What do you call a bullier? <laughs> a bullier. I love that, a bullier. I might use that. Uh, the alleged perpetrator. I think that's the investigator in me. I'd say the alleged <laughs> perpetrator or the person who is uh, reported to have behaved inappropriately. The doer. Um, There's the, the doer, doer and the being done to. The being See, done to. Isn't there a, look, I, I, I definitely don't want to uh, say the bully, you know, it's, it's not the bully's fault. It is. But isn't there a little bit of assertiveness that the person on the receiving end has to find in order to try and nip it in the bud when it happens? Yeah, that's a really good question, and and it's a reasonable question. Um, there are there are so many elements to this. It's multi layered. You don't have to actually stand up to the bully for the behaviour to have been bullying. The age old objection, if you like, from the person accused of bullying and sees their life flash before their eyes because somebody may have lodged a grievance or somebody else has told them they behaved inappropriately is, well, how am I meant to know that that behaviour upset them or offended them because they didn't say anything? If we work on the basis that bullying potentially creates unsafety, then it's not reasonable to say to someone who feels unsafe, you have to stick up for yourself in that situation or else you can expect for that person to continue to target you. So that, in fact, is one of the myths of bullying, that there is an obligation on, on behalf of the target or the recipient of the behaviour. I don't want to say victim because yeah. that disempowers them. Some will feel as if they're being victimised, but the target or the recipient it's an obligation on them to say something or they basically deserve what they get. That is that is really flawed and, and offensive to most of us. Certainly it helps if the person is able to say, you may or may not have realised it, and I always coach people to give feedback with the benefit of the doubt, you may or may not have realised it, Mary, but when you actually cut me off like that and said that particular thing to me in the meeting, you really humiliated me in front of our peers and in front of our bosses and I'm going to ask you never to do that again. Um, if we can do that, that's great, but we don't have to have done that for it to be bullying if the person does it again. Now, I, I've I've been speaking on psychological safety up until now, and to, to some extent I've just avoided the workplace bullying because it seems to be at the end of the continuum, you know, something that's really serious, whereas Psychological safety has this component of it's being subtle. It's, um, uh, you know, just a snide remark or a sarcastic remark, something that is almost, if you say anything as, as the person on the receiving end, if you say anything, it might be regarded as being petty, you know, or you can't take a joke. But is that still bullying or does it have to have a an element of degree? Well, it can be. And psychological safety can be seen on a continuum and so can bullying. There can definitely be low-level bullying and I've definitely mediated between individuals in workplaces where there was low-level bullying but we were able to facilitate conversations whereby the person who was meeting out the behaviour 
developed insight and empathy into what they'd done and why it affected the other person and they were able to patch it up. Uh, on the other hand, there is some bullying that means that people will never want to get in the room with somebody else again because they don't feel safe. And that's where bullying intersects with the more extreme version of psychological safety, which is fundamentally fight, flight, the saber-toothed tiger has wandered into the cave and I cannot be in this cave with that saber-toothed tiger, as opposed to what you and I would know, of course, as sort of the moderate end of the continuum on psychological safety, where someone may not feel comfortable to disagree with the very senior manager because the senior manager might be annoyed that they didn't come on board with their idea or may not feel comfortable to actually suggest we can do things better when everyone else in the team thinks we're already doing a great job. Um, or upstanding and sticking up for someone who might not have been treated well and worrying that that's going to make my friend annoyed with me because I stuck up for the other person that they treated badly and I didn't stick up for them because they're my friend. So right. psychological safety could be uncomfortable to disagree with someone in a position of power or it could literally be unless the union organiser is in the room with me or unless the head of HR is in the room, I cannot actually have a performance discussion with my boss because the way they treat me one-on-one -on -one when no one else is looking is just too threatening. Right. So you, you've mediated in various investigations around bullying. Can you give us some examples like there's the extreme example and maybe the, the low-level bullying example, just so we get a picture of what behaviour we're talking about that is unacceptable. Okay. Uh, sometimes uh, you can have, uh, and I'm dealing with one of those situations now, where people may have had a leader for a very long time, they were very comfortable with the leader. I think if we think about it you know, on a continuum, rather than that person who's left or retired or took a package sort of in the twilight of their career, being at the detached end of the continuum, they'll probably be enmeshed end of the continuum. And they were everybody's BFFs, their best friends forever. Then a new leader that comes in that is a little bit more businesslike, um, a little bit more performance oriented, might make people a bit more accountable, might be a little bit more private and less self-disclosing in building relationships. And then um, some of their people can be very put off thinking, we really miss our old mate. Now we've got someone in who's a bit more straight up and down, a little bit more professional than interpersonal, uh, and they actually get very upset or offended by the attempts of that person to have frank and fearless conversations with them uh, and to encourage them to do things differently. In that situation, I don't believe, and I probably, if I was investigating a grievance like that, would not find that they had been bullied, but that there is either a personality clash or, a di or different, in the case of this particular example, very different thinking styles, as could be measured by perhaps a psychometric instrument. And they've just had a few somewhat negative experiences. They've become a bit tentative around each other, and one of them or both of them are very unhappy. In those situations, that lends itself very well to a facilitation between people who got off on the wrong foot, but basically do want to work well together and are willing to come together to see whether or not they can patch up that relationship and sort of get past that that difficult start and build a really good productive long-term relationship with each other. Um, that's very different from some of the other issues that have actually made my very curly hair. It was dead straight to start with. That's what's happened to me with some of the things that I've dealt with. Um, and many of them have been quite extreme. 
and and very traumatic. Uh, and we know from the psychological research that bullying can create trauma. It can even create uh, neurological rewiring of the brain uh, in the same way as other traumatic events and physical injuries. So um, the impact of severe bullying can be um, enormous and not only on the individual um, who suffered at the hands of that bullying, but the ripple effect on them and their ability to show up for work, to be able to hold down employment and how it actually pays out on their relationships at home as well. Wow. So severe bullying, would that be of a threatening nature, like you uh, watch out or your job is at risk or something, some threat like that? I mean, there's or does it even go to physical threats? Well, it can do. I mean, there is the bullying legislation in many in many countries, and certainly in the state in which I live in Australia. Um, bull, there's bullying and occupational violence, and both of those things are subsumed under OHS legislation. So, if someone were actually to be physically threatened, or actually have someone perpetrate something physically against them, not only would that be assault under the criminal code, but it would come under the severe end of bullying. But really more occupational yes. violence so threatening mm-hmm. someone's job um on a repeated uh, on a repeated basis could constitute bullying uh it could be gaslighting to use modern vernacular and making the employee feel dumb or stupid or forgetful or demented because someone is alleging they've already given them instructions spelt it out and the person is too thick to really understand what's being asked of them it could be passive aggressive comments it could also cross over into the sorts of things you and I would consider to be discriminatory or harassing, you know, um, nasty references to somebody's race or religion, insulting them by implying that they have a disability, um, picking on them, initiating them, tormenting them because of their sexuality, etc. And that might be where bullying intersects with um, transgressions on equal opportunity grounds because the behaviour creates a risk to health and safety, but it's just got this flavour of discrimination or harassment with it as well but it may also be more subtle um, in passive aggressive comments and things that just make someone feel mad sad or bad um, you know more than once and it builds up and builds up and then it might take them a long time to realize that that was bullying because what they've associated with bullying their mental model of bullying has been yelling and screaming and abusing and name calling and desk thumping whereas it can be more insidious than that. And that's where it gets closer to this your topic of psychological safety because the person's feeling rattled, they've lost confidence, they don't feel as if they're as competent anymore, they're second-guessing themselves, they're struggling to come to work, they may start to feel very depressed, they disengage from loved ones and hobbies and things they used to do, and that replicates what they might do after any sort of traumatic event. Gee, so it can be a trigger for a bit of a downward spiral, which is uh, very worrying. Do some bullies have a lack of awareness of the impact of their actions? Definitely. And and that's, I guess, one of the other myths around bullying. And that is the difference between intent and impact. Bullying is determined by the impact we've had on others. Do we believe on the balance of probabilities that it's created a risk to physical or psychological health and safety? as we talked about before, but it may not be intended. Some people have low self-awareness. Some people aren't aware of their own triggers. They don't know how they can tend to react under pressure, or they may not understand how they behave when someone violates their values 
or disagrees with them on something that they hold near and dear. So they may not be aware that their behaviour is abrasive, that they've raised their voice, uh, that they're making snipey comments or little poison darts rather than big, obvious sledgehammers, uh, and can actually be quite shocked when they get feedback to suggest that they've behaved inappropriately. And that shock and awe can be entirely genuine. Of course, it can be tactical. I had no idea that anything I was saying or doing was offending that person. Uh, yeah, right. Um, but in other cases, that can be completely genuine. And then you're wrestling with the need to protect the, the, vic the victim or the target of the behaviour, the need to help the bully understand that they need to moderate their behaviour, but also potentially dealing with their genuine distress when they realise that their behaviour has created such grief for someone else, but also for themselves. Well, I'm pleased to hear that some bullies <laughs> have distress at the outcome of their behaviour because they have to learn to change. Look, you say that in your book, bullying is high frustration meeting poor emotional intelligence. Can you talk to that? Sure. Um, we, you know, we all have a frustration tolerance, and some for some people it takes a lot um, for them to feel frustrated. I, I tend to describe frustration very visually. If you can sort of imagine a, the lower line is what I actually feel I can cope with, and then the line above that is what I actually really want in life. And the bigger the gap between what I want and what I'm actually getting actually creates frustration for us. Um, but it's whether or not the person has enough emotional intelligence, self-awareness, ability to emotionally regulate, that even if they're really frustrated or even if they're under acute pressure, they're still able to hold the line on decent behaviour. Um, and we can see that in military environments and really high-stress environments, bushfire activations, where you've got senior leaders in the field who are under enormous pressure where there's a threat to life and they can still think clearly, they can still be respectful, they can still be clear in their communication uh, because even though they're you know, in, internally in fight flight or the average person might be, they don't go below the line in their behaviour. But for people experiencing acute frustration who don't know how to manage the frustration well in the moment or aren't even aren't even realising that their behaviour is falling away, that's when they can actually cause a lot of damage. You know, that spontaneous outburst and reaming somebody out because that person has done the wrong thing or embarrassed the organisation or made a costly mistake, um, that's where their behaviour, even without intending to, can slip into the sort of thing that gets them into big trouble if it's called out um, because they just haven't taken stock of, how they're behaving, how they're feeling, and, and being able to pull their head in when they needed to. And, of course, there's there's exclusion and uh, cold-shouldering people and isolating people. That's bullying too, isn't it, if it's done on a repeated basis? It is, and, and that's one of the you know, sort of intriguing nuances of bullying that is different from straight-out harassment, whether it's sexual harassment, harassment on the basis of race or religion or disability or sexual orientation, to harass someone or to discriminate against someone, you actually have to do something active. You have to get in their face and say something that's potentially offensive, that's tied to one of the protected grounds under the equal opportunity legislation in any state or country. But you can actually leave someone completely alone, exclude them, not invite them to things, 
isolate them, give them the cold shoulder or the silent treatment for days, and that is one nuance of bullying, that's different from making explicit racial remarks to someone or about yeah. someone. So yeah. in that respect, that is, if you like, one feature of bullying that's quite different from features of other unlawful um, and sort of culturally compromising behaviours like harassment and discrimination. Uh, it's not getting in somebody's face. It's actually actively isolating and excluding them and leaving them alone uh, when you might need to engage with them, collaborate with them, consult with them. Now, of course, so, some misunderstandings can happen when a manager is just giving feedback, performance feedback, and the person being coached is not really happy about having to improve the way they do things. And have you found that some people react negatively and accuse a manager uh, without without really uh, being much basis of bullying? And really the manager is just trying to uh, lift unsatisfactory performance. It definitely. And I've had the privilege of working with managers who I felt had excellent people skills, were high on emotional intelligence, were good leaders and, and self-leaders uh, who just wake up on a bad day with an employee who just won't accept that there's some validity to performance management around either performance or conduct uh, and just throws out the uh, the bullying argument uh, in order to paralyse the manager and get the manager to back off. Uh, and I do feel for those managers trying to do the right thing, make their people accountable, who may have been given the mandate to create and sustain a high-performing team, which means that we've constantly got to be looking for ways to do things better. And we have to be able to accept constructive feedback in order to get better. Um, but the mere fact of being given feedback to suggest that something you could do better or something you did wrong can be enough for someone either deliberately in a very tactical way or unwittingly because they feel it's uncomfortable or unpleasant for them to assume that they're being bullied. Uh, and that's where the manager has to be really clear that they are being fair, reasonable, consistent, that they're giving balanced feedback, that they're detailed in terms of what's working and what's not. I like them to lead with strengths and be very willing to talk about what's working well and what they um, admire and appreciate in what the person brings, but then to be able to talk safely about what's not working, uh, what let the team down, what needs to be improved, et cetera, without having to worry that someone's going to you know, submit a bullying grievance against them. But, yes, it absolutely does happen. Mm. Um, and most good policies in organisations and certainly most of the legislation that I've seen internationally will have some line item in there that says reasonable management action taken in a reasonable way is not bullying, that performance mm. management per se is not automatically bullying just because someone says it might be or tries to sort of test the waters and get the manager to back off. Yeah. And, of course, self-leadership means it's it's the individual's responsibility to improve their own emotional intelligence. But, gee whiz, that's like <laughs> if if people don't know they don't know, they've got a blind spot. <laughs> how, how can people raise their emotional intelligence or even work out where their, where their gaps are? It, it it can be hard you know there are some universal truths we've all had that truism about you know death and taxes being inevitable uh, one of the other things that's inevitable is trying to tell someone with low emotional intelligence they've got low emotional intelligence they never take that well 
um, and trying to get someone who's starting from a place of reasonably low self-awareness who hasn't done the work or may not have been given much opportunity to do the work that there's a lot of work for them to do doesn't necessarily go down well. It really depends whether they've got that growth mindset and trust the person who's coaching them or mentoring um, for that person's intent. This is not easy for me to hear, but I've got a boss now who's so good at what they do and there's so much I can learn from them and they really are trying hard to support me and they see the good in me and want opportunities for me. Therefore, I'm going to have to sort of put on my armour and develop a bit of a thicker skin and learn as much as I can from this person. But there'll be some people who don't have a growth mindset or they had a hypercritical parent when they were growing up um, and they're just not, or, or they were always told they were very bright and very capable. Now they're learning something new and they're getting feedback to suggest they've got some improvement and that's really foreign for them. And, you know, they're the modern day saber-toothed tigers and we wouldn't have survived as a species if we weren't really good at trying to actually find a way to manage threat. Um, and so those performance management discussions or coaching or mentorship, when we're not at our best and feeling competent and confident enough, uh, can be hard to take and, and people can react badly. But uh, I love working with people who aren't there yet and I'm not there. I'm growing and learning every day. And some days I have to look in the mirror and go, Leanne, you're a 30-year psychologist. You should know better. Um, <laughs> but we're all human. We're not perfect. Uh, but we have to create safety in the relationship with that person and give them the best opportunity to accept the feedback openly and to know what to do with it. So it's it's a responsibility of both parties. Yes, and of course, uh, you and I are in Australia where there are workplace health and safety laws, but, you know, we have a lot of uh, listeners in Africa, mm. in Tanzania. We have listeners in Poland, uh, Netherlands, uh, India, all around the world, USA, of course. And so the, the, the laws are different in different countries. But have you seen patterns change over the last decade or two where what was once acceptable is now no longer acceptable and that's pro probably a good thing De definitely uh and i think about sort of the arc of what were the major issues that i dealt with early in my practice and it was all about creating opportunities for women and it was all about gender discrimination against women uh, either because they were women or because of pregnancy or potential pregnancy and being robbed of opportunities. And sexual harassment was a big thing. Bullying wasn't even on the radar 25, 30 years ago. Um, you know, people were still in manufacturing environments and being initiated and their testicles were being daubed with permanent blue dye. Uh, and they were told to find the left-handed spanner uh, and were set up uh, in ways to humiliate them. And nobody really even batted an eyelid. That was just considered to be a rite of passage uh, and what we call in psychology ritual wounding. Well, it happened to me, so I'm entitled to do it to you because that's how we all grew stronger and tougher and were able to survive the world. Um, I think generally people are a lot more aware now, they're a lot more educated, and they know that it's not acceptable. Um, what I'm finding is fascinating in some of the other countries where people may traditionally have had less legislation or less protection with the legislation and where there aren't necessarily strong cultures of upstanding rather than bystanding because people are too scared. Um, young people coming through the university system and, and graduating and going to work in organisations 
may have a much stronger sense of what's okay and what's not okay. Then they go to work in very, you know, maybe more traditional uh, or less evolved workplace cultures, and they're dismayed about what managers and leaders might think is okay. Some of them will speak up for themselves. Some of them will do so and be victimised because they did. Some of them will just throw their hands up and say, I'm not prepared to work in an organisation like this. Why do people around me think this is okay? I'm out of here. and want to come back to really benevolent, supportive workplaces, in which case the organisations get all the benefit of that person's skills and experience uh, without having to spend a lot of money constantly hiring people because turnover is too high and people are voting with their feet. Thank you, Leanne. Well, look, uh, do you can you work with organisations all around the world? <laughs> How can people work with you? <laughs> I can. Well, there, there are two ways I can do that. Obviously, uh, Zoom and Teams are some of my best friends. Uh, executive coaching anywhere in the world works extremely well, particularly, you know, conflict management of the sort we're talking about now, helping script conversations for high-risk, high-value conversations. That's very easy stuff to do virtually. And then, of course, I've got clients, you know, who generously will pay for an airfare and, and, you know, take me over there and we'll spend some time together and then I'll fly back again. Sometimes to engage with people overseas, if you have at least that first intervention or that few days with them in the country of origin, uh, work with the clients face-to-face and build some rapport and trust, then any work you do after that virtually becomes effortless. And even if they bring you back every now and then, not all of the touch points have to be face-to-face. Um, but often that first one is a really good one to introduce the you know, the cheeky external consultant to the client group. And then once you've got some rapport, et cetera, it's very easy to, to do you know facilitations, training courses, coaching circles, et cetera, um, from further away, just uh, digitally. You are such an expert on this and you've really nutted out all the nuances, all the the, the grey areas and I really appreciate that because I must admit that I went, workplace bullying, what exactly is it? And you've kind of demystified it all for us all, for all us listeners. So thank you so much, Leanne. You are amazing. Pleasure, Nina. Really lovely to sit with you. <laughs> Thanks so much. This episode, we've been speaking with Leanne Faraday-Brash on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and if you like the podcast, tell a friend. Many of the listeners I meet say they found it because someone sent them the link, telling them it's a good show to listen to. And remember to subscribe so you catch the next episode. We've got conversations with people who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.